Because I remember when I was struggling, going into meetings and seeing people, and I, and I remember just thinking, I want to be like that guy. I want to be sober, first of all. I want to be able to walk in a meeting with my head held high. I want to have a relationship with a woman that that man has with his wife. I want to go through my day the way he goes through his day. I remember thinking that, and I want that. And then my first sponsor said to me, well, then you're going to have to do what we do. Welcome to the Recovery Edge cast. My name is Alfredo, and I'm an alcoholic. And today I'm sitting here with my good pal, Jim Brown. How are you, Jim? Doing well, Alfredo. Good to see you, brother. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's 2021, finally. I met Jim at the Rule 62 meeting right here in Frederick. Huh? This is Frederick? This is Frederick. It's barely not Decono. It's so close, right? (laughs) So, Jim, why don't you start off by giving us your sober date and your home group? Certainly. My sober date is April the 15th of 1999. Uh, My home group here in Colorado is the Rule 62 group. We meet on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. at the Rin Church, right off Interstate 25. Wait, can you repeat your sober date? One more sure. Time? April 15th, uh-huh. 1999. 1999. So how many years is that? Well, 21. Coming up on 22. Coming up on 22. Yeah. Nice. How about you give us a little background on you, you know, like uh, where'd you grow up and uh, what's it like today? What you're up to? Certainly. Um, Grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, a small town called Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Um, Have a long line of alcoholics in my family background, like a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, And of course, growing up, I was not going to be like them. Um, I was going to be much smarter. And uh, it turns out I ended up much worse than most of them, you know. But fortunately, uh, I found the rooms of AA. But uh, Grew up there, small town, uh, 12 years, 13 years of Catholic school, counting kindergarten. So I had a real strange idea of what a higher power was um, because of that upbringing, and altar boy and all that stuff. And didn't drink at all through high school. I was a jock and a student and uh, drank socially through college and even after college. So my problems began with alcohol, actually... Um, began with narcotic painkillers. Um, I worked as a pharmacist for 25 years and went had some dental work done, and uh, the dentist prescribed uh, a, a drug called Percocet, uh, which is a narcotic painkiller, and, and it worked. Killed the pain. I still can remember the feeling today. It was 1978 when that started, and I could still remember that feeling from that first pill. uh, I know today it's because I'm an alcoholic and I had never felt that way my whole life. And uh, that that continued off and on for for 20 years, the addiction to the painkillers, rehabs. And I remember they sent me to rehab and they sent me to an AA meeting and I was very, very disgusted that day. I said, I'm an accidental drug addict. I don't need to go to no stinking AA. And... uh, that was 1980, so it took me another 19 years before I actually uh, got sober and with periodic instances of uh, addiction to prescription pain pills and 
ending up in rehab and getting fired and getting arrested. And uh, finally, in the middle of the 90s, I made a decision that being a pharmacist was the issue. Not that I had a problem with addiction or alcohol. So I made the decision to turn my license in and uh, everything was going to be just fine because I was away from the pills now. And of course, <clears throat> that did not work. Um, almost immediately, I began to drink alcoholically. And uh, five years of pure hell between the alcohol and my emotional state and stays in detoxes and the back of ambulances and getting arrested. It, it was it was just um, it was just a the bottom. It was the bottom. But it took me that five years. And off and on and going to AA and saying I was going to do what you guys do in AA. But the one thing I never did was make a commitment to do whatever but the program requires. Mm -hmm. um, didn't touch a big book. Didn't ask anyone to be my sponsor until April the 14th of 1999. I was getting ready to get fired by the company I, I'd gotten a job with. And uh, I wasn't going to allow them to see me shaking and sweating when they fired me. I was too proud. So I went and got a, a bottle and, and had a drink. My, no, at this time, that was my last drink. But at that moment, I did not know that was going to be my last drink, like most of us. And I took the drink, and I was sitting on the porch of a friend's house um, who was letting me stay there because I just got kicked out of the sober house I was living in for the third time, and they didn't want nothing to do with me. And I stopped breathing. Um, my friend found me. I, I don't know how long I had been out and applied CP gave me CPR. Uh, got some neighbors involved, called 911, and uh, ended up on a ventilator uh, in the hospital for three days. And when I got off the ventilator and was eventually discharged from the hospital, I had two friends pick me up, and they were allowing me to have a place to live. And they said one condition was that I get a sponsor in AA and, and really get serious about getting sober. Um, so I did. The hardest thing I have ever done in my 69 years plus of life was ask a man to be my sponsor. It was terrifying. And um, his name was Ed Howard, and I asked him to be my sponsor, and I haven't had a drink since that April the 14th date. And uh, he took me through the steps, changed my life, found a relationship with a higher power I never had. Today, I didn't know how much of life I was missing when, as I was growing up and how much my alcoholism affected everything I did, even before I started drinking, just the way I looked at life. And um, it, it was not a good way to live. It was not a good way to live. And uh, since coming to AA, I found peace, serenity, uh, no matter what happens. There's no, life is life. There are still things going on in my life today that were going on when I was drinking that I don't drink over today because of my program. So when you talk when you talk about these changes, you're not just talking about, um, like, substance abuse, right? Oh, correct. Yeah, no, but, you know, and we, we hear in the rooms a lot that the, the drinking uh, is just a, a symptom of the disease. And in my case, that was, and probably all our cases, uh, mm -hmm. that's definitely true. Um, I had a lot of work to do uh, on myself. And the steps, 
have become a guide to do that. Um, I remember after my fifth step with my, my sponsor back in 1999, I remember walk, we went into a church in the afternoon. It was about 3 o'clock. We went into a room with no windows. And when we did my fifth step, and of course afterwards he says, okay, I want you to go home now and think about, you know, are, are you ready to continue to build upon what we started here? And we left the church, and it was like 9.30 at night. And I was like, wow. You know, my fifth step took like, you know, six, seven hours. And to me, it was like 20 minutes because it was wow. just a, a, a spiritual experience. It really was. And that, that night was probably the first night in my entire life that I had some peace of mind and some serenity. And that was actually when I knew for the first time that I was done, that I was done drinking. If I went through this program, um, I was going to become a sober individual. Then at what point did somebody or did anybody address you about uh, your addiction issue? Like, was it the alcohol that kind of exposed it or was it the pills initially? It was the pills initially because, um, like, I remember I, I took one. And then the next time I needed a dose, I took one and a half. Mm -hmm. Like, from the get-go. And I, and, and I became physically addicted. And, and I knew I was addicted. But again, I didn't understand... Uh, for all my education, I didn't understand addiction. I thought it was just a mistake. If I could get off these pills, I'll be okay. And I eventually did. And I came, uh, you know, told my wife what was going on. She was sort of happy because she thought I was dying from cancer or something because it mm. got so bad. As addicts and uh, alcoholics, I have a very high tolerance. And, of course, um, as, as time went on, I was taking... 20 pills at a time four five six times a day it was and it was affecting all my organs in my body but I was still able to function somewhat so when she heard that I what would had happened she was actually happy okay well let's get this cleared up we'll get you some help um, and uh, it worked it worked for about seven years but I, I even though I wasn't addicted to pills or alcohol at the time I missed that connect. I didn't have that connection with a higher power, and I was miserable inside. I looked great on the outside, successful, uh, that on all the things that we want to be, you know, as adults. But inside, it was eating me up. Mm -hmm. I know today there was just a matter of time before I, I, I picked up again, and you know, and, and that's exactly what happened time after time. But the time between picking up kept getting less. Seven years then five years, then three, you know, and that's when I made that decision in the mid-90s that, uh, and, I, and of course I was so naive, I thought by not being a pharmacist I was going to make everything right, and then the alcohol just kicked my butt. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned that you were in detoxes. How many times did you have oh to visit Oh my gosh, I've been to rehab seven times. Oh, rehab. Seven, no, that's just rehab. Rehab seven oh, times. Okay. For, you know, at least minimum 28, 30 days stay. Detox. My, fa my family and friends would just come get me, and I would be such a mess that they would take me right to the hot. They knew where the detox was, and they would just take me there and drop me off, you know. Yeah. And, and that has to be eight, nine, ten times for the detoxes. And seven it, times of rehab. Seven times in rehab over my lifetime, you know. And each time, Alfredo, I was sincere when I left those facilities to never, never use again. In, in my 
bottom of my soul. Um, I remember one time I had uh, end up in the hospital. I had pancreatitis, and it was it was brutal. And that I was in the hospital for eight weeks, and every day, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I remember being discharged from the hospital, and with 40 minutes, I was at the liquor store, without even thinking about it. You know, it was just. Uh, you know, in the big book, we talk about the different types of alcoholics. I definitely had worked my way through the number four type, and I couldn't live without um, alcohol. Couldn't live without it. Mm. So then, what changed in your first year of sobriety? Because obviously, you had no control. Like, you were powerless over alcohol. I was. I was definitely powerless. And what changed in my story was getting the sponsor. Because I had always gone to AA. I had always gotten busy uh, cleaning ashtrays, up, hanging the signs. I, I was very busy doing that kind of stuff, but I wasn't getting busy to doing what people in AA do, and that is going through the steps and having that spiritual moment. You know, I never had that. But by getting the sponsor... It made me accountable. And I remember he would always say to me, I would say, okay, what's next? What's next? He says, don't drink. Mm -hmm. Today, all I want you to do is not take that first drink. That's all I want you to do. I said, well, when, when are we going to start working on the steps? I'll let you know. You know, because I was a mess. I was a physical mess. Um, people had, like, walking up a step into an AA meeting, I needed help. I needed help to get up that step. I was a physical mess, so I needed, I needed to heal. I needed to go through the detox, again, of, of high levels of uh, alcohol. So once I got started feeling better and we started going on the steps, it, uh, and he was, a, he was an old-timer, you know. He was, he, he was back in the day when they had meetings in people's homes, you know, like in the 50s is uh, when he got sober. So we went through the steps very quickly. None of this a step a month or we'll do, you know, he, we, we went through the steps very, very quickly once I started feeling better and, uh, and it was good, you know, and I had a lot of work to do, you know, between families uh, and, and ex-employees, ex-employers. I had a lot of amends to make. Uh, plus, I had to get healthy. Um, I had to get that relationship down with that higher power and... Uh, and I always said, I, I, I came to AA, but I wasn't willing to do what the people in AA do. Once I became willing to do what the people in AA do, I haven't had a drink since. How hard did you find it to, um, you know, get that relationship with a higher power? Because I find that sometimes that could be one of the most difficult steps. It was hard. It was hard for me because like I said I, I had that, that Catholic upbringing of a, and, and during all of this, the one emotion that I can remember really being strong was that I didn't deserve to be sober. I was a bad person. I had a wonderful, my wife, a wonderful wife, wonderful job, caring, loving family, hundreds of people around me supporting me. I had it all, you know, and I was happy. And then, then I did this, and then I did that, and then I lied, and then I stole, and then I broke laws. And then, so this all the way through this whole time, I just had this something like, I'm a bad person, and yeah, I'm just going to die a drunk, and I'm okay with that. 
I remember waking up some mornings and being disappointed. I thought I had drunk enough the night before to die. Uh, so it's sort of ironic that the way I found my way to AA is that I, I actually did die that last after that last drink, and it wasn't a you know I had been I had probably been sober five or six days, and I was just taking that one drink to, and I think God just finally said, okay, this, this is your last shot, buddy. I hope you take advantage of it, and uh, thank thank God that it happened. Because and then going through the steps was just has been miraculous for me, and I, and I sponsor. I've been able to sponsor quite a few men between Pennsylvania. I lived in Arizona for 10 years and now here in Colorado. And I just love going through the steps uh, with sponsees because that gives me a chance to revisit all those areas that I need to revisit on a daily basis, uh, especially steps 10, 11, and 12. So speaking of Colorado, um, you moved out here and kind of found your home group. Almost by accident. Yeah. Well, it wasn't by you know. It, it was like definitely uh, there was it was uh, my God was involved here. We were uh, we came up here to um, house it our daughter's house down in Westminster, and we started. We had been thinking about moving to Colorado because uh, Marianne is retired. I was getting close to retirement, but I worked from home. Um, I worked from home since two thousand seven, so I could basically work uh, anywhere. So we had looked and looked and looked and couldn't find anything. And one day, uh, right before we went home, Marianne said, look at this, this cute little area up here in Frederick. She said, I think that's down by Colorado Springs. I said, let me look. And I looked on the phone and it said we we're 12 minutes away from this house. So my son was with me, uh, was with us. So it was me and Marianne and my son Patrick. And we came here to uh, Prairie Green's in uh, Frederick and we went into the clubhouse and they have a bulletin board there and there was a calendar of events that take place here at the Prairie Greens and it was poker night and women's group and Bible study and on Sundays my son my son Patrick says dad look at look at Sunday night at six o'clock so I look and it says uh, rule 62 group didn't say anything about AA just said rule 62 group and my son Patrick goes, that's an AA thing, I think, you know, because he's been around a lot of AA, of course, with mm -hmm. me. And uh, he, he's not a member, but he's been to a lot of family functions. And I do a lot of work with uh, Al-Anon. I do a lot of speaking for Al-Anon. So he's been to a lot of the conventions I've spoken at. So I looked at it and it said, Rule 62 group. And I just, I just stopped and looked up like, okay, I think I found where I want to live. And... 90 days later we were living here and of course that of course that rule 62 group was is an aa group and it is my home group and what 100 yards from where we're sitting right now you know yeah. so so it was it was pretty neat uh and uh i tell that story a lot and it's just like it was just so you know so many things had to happen for us to find this but it, but it's been wonderful and uh you know you know I, there had to be an AA presence for me to move somewhere because I'm very active. Um, I go to meetings. I'm involved, in, um, I've been involved in three international conventions. Uh, I've been to Founders Day in Akron maybe 15 times. Uh, so I love big, big events. And uh, and you know, of course, you know, Fred, living here, we have meetings: Boulder, Longmont, um, Johnstown. Uh, Frederick, you know, and it's only going to be growing. So I wanted to have a, a place where I could get an AA commitment and get a home group. And uh, 
being involved because it's really important because without Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm, I'm a mess. You know, I'm a mess, and uh, and I love it. And uh, of course, I was welcomed that very first night I walked in, and and uh, in my I just retired, by the way, from work, and in in uh, the job that I would took that drink that I thought I was going to be getting fired at. Um, when I woke up in that hospital back in Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes later, there was 25 or 30 people around my bed from that job to come to support me and tell me they loved me and I need to get my stuff together and I, had, and I did have a job. And I just retired from that job in September after 25 plus years and it was in the travel business, so I got to travel a lot. And the first thing I did was find meetings and I love going to meetings in foreign countries. A lot of times I didn't even understand what was being said. But I could go there and walk in the door and just, these are my people. This is my tribe. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. There's a certain bond between people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and, and I love it. Yeah. Have you found that, um, that bond or maybe the climate of AA has changed over the last couple of decades? Um, I guess I'm asking, um, you know, the old school versus today, like what's, what's it like now? It's, it's, uh, it's interesting because, um, as, as I went on in my sobriety, you know, at first, because my sponsor was an old timer, uh-huh. you know, we wore shirt, we wore ties and sport coats to the Friday night meeting that we went to. Not everybody did, but if you were his sponsee, you did. And we were like little puppets following behind him, you know, and he was a big book thumper and he was, um, you know, okay, if I'm going to be your sponsor, we're going to get through these steps. We're going to get through them quickly and you're going to start sponsoring people and, and you're going to do that quickly, you know. And I was sort of like in that frame of mind for a long time. But then as time went on, I realized that not everybody responds to that. You know, so I had to do some changing about the way I did things. And I said, and we all still do that today. If, if, if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you sponsor people, you don't sponsor the same way to everybody. Everybody's different. Some, some need that big push. Let's get this done. Let's move on. Some need more patience and tolerance. Um, you, you and I have spoken before. Um, I a couple friends, um, you know, from down in Texas, uh, Chris Reimer and um, his sponsor was uh, passed away. And I know you've listened to some of his tapes, but they're like big book thumpers to the, you know, this is it, you know. And, and I love going um, to to their meetings and, and, and uh, listening to their tapes and Chris and because they're like, they're, they're, they're no, they don't fool around. This is the way I do it. And if it's not your way, then you're going to have to find somebody else to help you, you know. So it's, um, I become more open-minded, let me say that. But still, I do have, I have to sponsor the way I was sponsored, you know. And when I sit down with someone at that first meeting, this is how I'm going, this is how I do it. Now, if you can do this, let's go. But if you have any, you know, you might be better off looking for someone else, you know. It's but that's uh, but you know what I think we all find the person we need to find when it comes to sponsorship sometimes it you know it just God has that way of pushing the universe to get us to where we need to be you know to at that moment when we make that decision that we want to get sober and become willing to do whatever it takes there's going to be that person that's going to show up 
Um, I think the gentleman you were referring to earlier was Mark Houston. Exactly. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I find it fascinating that you've actually met him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Talked to him. Used to talk to him on the phone. Yeah. Um, Always answered his phone. This man probably received 200 phone calls a day from alcoholics around the world. And he would if possible, wow. which was most of the time, he would answer his phone. He might say, hey, can I call you back? But uh, yeah. And uh, his spirituality has been unbelievable. And um, just he's one of those guys that you talk to, and like almost everything he says makes sense. Like I never struggled with any of the God stuff or anything like that because of guys like Mark and Chris Reimer. And, and, and I've, I've had great sponsors. Uh, I've, I've been blessed. Uh, I lived in three states, and and, and uh, my first sponsor Ed passed away, and then um, Scott Miller became my sponsor back in Pennsylvania, and he and I talk a lot still, and we go to we travel together, um, and then down in uh, Arizona, uh, you know, I, I had a great sponsor down there, and you know, coming up here, I have great sponsors, you know, so it's like it just happens, you know, it's important, it's important important you know especially working from home like when i used to when i first got sober i were you know i would go out to work every day and you know of course i found out that, like i wasn't the only alcoholic at my job there was a bunch of us you know and we would sort of yeah. hang out together but when you work from home um you, you got to make sure you have those those contacts and well you've heard me share means before I, t- I talk to somebody in recovery multiple times a day either by a text or a phone call or uh, you know, uh, we just we just do we we all hang together. And this, you know, this morning I was talking to my sponsor back in Pennsylvania, or yesterday I'm sorry, because of football games we were talking about. You know, uh, so like it's not like we talk recovery 100 percent of the time, but it's always there, and there's always that that feeling of gratitude for these men. Because I remember when I was struggling, going into meetings and seeing people, and I and I remember just thinking, I want to be like that guy. I want to be sober, first of all. I want to be able to walk in a meeting with my head held high. I want to have a relationship with a woman that that man has with his wife. I want to go through my day the way he goes through his day. I remember thinking that, that I want that. And then my first sponsor said to me, well, then you're going to have to do what we do. And that's what I wasn't doing. I was doing some of what they did, but not all of what they did. Hmm. Um, if you could give a piece of advice to yourself in that first year or first day, what do you think that would be? It was, it was the, just don't drink right now, you know, hang in there, you know, cause uh, I, I was, I was such an, I was so addicted to alcohol that I was really sick and I, you know, and, and being really sick and knowing that relief is 50 yards away at the liquor store. Yeah, you know, um, and then I, I I I couldn't sleep. I hated that I couldn't sleep, you know, and and I would I would sit there, two thirty in the morning, knowing that a hundred yards away was a convenience store that sold beer, and I would have to drink like forty beers to fall asleep. But it would eventually wear me down where I would do that. And then I would then that would start going back to the uh, the hard liquor. You know, it was just but I remember I had to get through that time 
not drinking one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was hours at a time. And I had a lot of help. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of help. I had, you know, and this might sound extreme, but I had friends that I asked them not to leave me alone at my job. Because at my job, I had a half-hour lunch break. I, I could get, I could leave my job, hop in my car, go to the liquor store, get a couple of drinks down, and be back in time to clock in in a half hour. I was able to do that. So I gra- grabbed a couple of friends from work, and I said, do not leave me alone ever you know and and they did that and they were tough you know and uh i would go to a meeting and um, i used to love holiday time in that first year because there'd be alcathons you know and i could go there all day mm-hmm. um i lived in sober living for three years after my last drink and i loved it i loved it because there was a bunch of guys trying to stay sober one day at a time you know and i was i actually was scared here i was an adult um almost 50 years old it was time for me to move out of the sober house you know and i was scared i was scared to be on my own you know but with the help of friends and eventually uh that that fear went away you know quickly went away quickly because I realized I'm not going to be doing anything different on my own than I was in that sober house. But it was it was fear and it was there, but I talked about it. I got people, let them know, you know. Do you remember <clears throat> do you remember a moment where you realized that the obsession was lifted? I do. I don't know. I, I, I shared it was that night that night of after my fifth step. You know? Yeah. Um it was just it was it was out you know of course it was outside a church and of course yeah and it was just um there was a heaviness lifted off of me so there i was once again i was you know 48 years old 49 years old and for the first time in my life i wasn't afraid for the first time in my life i felt some a god presence let's you know i knew that there was something special going on, you know? I knew that if I kept doing this, I was going to be okay. Now, I was, a, I was a mess. I was a mess financially. I was a mess physically. I was a mess emotionally. But at that moment, I knew that I was going to be okay. Um, what's your relationship like with alcohol these days? Because your wife is a normie, right? She is. Is that okay to say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a normie. Okay. Um, she doesn't drink a lot, but um, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's like, okay. I don't like the olives. I don't like olives. And I don't like alcohol. But I'm able to be around people drinking. I'm able to go to restaurants that have a bar. Um, the whole first year, um, like I said, I was in the travel business. The travel business is fueled by alcohol. Most, a lot of businesses are fueled by alcohol. But the first year, my my uh, my sponsor, I would go to him like like a little boy and say, "Hey Ed, uh, my company wants me to go to Jamaica. Can I go?" And he said, "No." Okay. And I didn't. So I didn't travel. I didn't go to any. Uh, but after that first year, um, you know, I was. Yeah, I, I remember going, I think that first trip I took was to uh, the Dominican Republic, and he said, yeah, you can go. I was like, what? 
I'm like, yeah, you go. And uh, like I told you, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, we would show up, you show up, uh, you go visit resorts. Uh, maybe I might see 10, 12 resorts in a day. And then the first thing, as you're walking in, they're coming with the, the drinks mm-hmm. for you, you know? And uh, the first, I remember the first time I went and my coworkers were like, no, 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 he's, he, he, he doesn't drink, he doesn't drink. And I had to take them aside and say, listen, I, you know, I appreciate that. But I'll, I'll tell them no, okay? It's important that I tell them no, you know? And it was just, um, yeah, so I don't, um, I have no issues being around alcohol. I, I, now, I don't, I don't hang out in bars. I don't go to, on, to watch football. I don't go to a sports bar to watch football, I, you know? Um, it's, you know, but it's like sort of natural to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a I wasn't that kind of drinker, you know. I was a I was a guy who would sit in his dark apartment with the shades drawn and his two bottles of Old Granddad, hundred and one proof, and be in heaven, you know. Uh, I wasn't the the social guy because I wanted to pass out as quick as possible. So mm-hmm. those things didn't work for me. Um. So speaking of sports, you're an Eagles fan. I am. Uh, my sponsor was very big about, yes, we have a lot of work to do on some bad stuff, but you need to get some good stuff in your life. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that happened, and again, I, you know, I, I, blame, I blame everything on God, everything good on God. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been on the flyer season ticket wait list my whole life. Like from, well, don't you think that first year of sobriety, I get a chance to purchase Eagle season tickets? And, uh, and I did, you know, and it was, and we had, uh, four people from AA who had season tickets and we would travel to the game together. We would go home together and it was, it was just a blessing because the work we did on those rides to and from the games with each other was astonishing. You know, you had four people in a car for an hour and a half ride to Philadelphia you know, and there somebody would have an issue going on, and there were some people with with a couple years of sobriety. Some people were like new, like me, and uh, and, it, and I still remember those days fondly because we we worked we worked with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm a big sports fan. I'm looking forward to the national championship game tonight, and uh, I like sports. I like sports. Well, uh, yeah, Philadelphia is a tough city on those Eagles. You oh know, yes, brutally honest. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> it, it is, uh, and I, I've had season tickets when you're at the, and there was a lot. Of, there's a lot of alcohol at sporting events. There, there really is. And but I never, again, that was never part of that deal. It was just um, we would go and have fun, you know. And then we would actually we'd play around with the opposing fans because every now and then an opposing fan would be around us, and we we'd have a good time. But uh, it's one of the blessings I have. You know, we talk about uh, the fruits of our sobriety. You know, we talk about all those things and being able to do that has has been one of my top blessings to go and experience that yeah um have you got any before we i think we're towards the end here how do you feel yeah, yeah? i feel good i it's it's uh i didn't want to talk too much about the past i want to talk about recovery and i hopefully i've done that i've been able to um, get my pharmacy. I, like I told you, I handed my pharmacy license in, mm-hmm. and I was able to get my pharmacy license back in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I actually now I still um, consult with a number of state boards of pharmacies around the country, setting up programs for pharmacists who have drug and alcohol problems. Wow! And I've been able to do that um, because of my experience, and I've been able to help 
these people understand the disease of alcoholism. And yes, there can be people in the medical field who are addicts and alcoholics, but they can, they can continue to do their job sober. Um, because of that, I got involved with the Department of Homeland Security, setting up a program for ICE agents along the southern border of the United States. The same thing, a program where, yes, I'm an uh, ICE agent, I am an alcoholic, and I'm able to keep my job. Um, and it's been very rewarding to be able to do those things. I, I wouldn't know if they're AA-related, but the programs that I've helped set up are AA or 12-step related, you know, for sure, uh, depending on what the person's issues are. And, and they've helped a lot of people. Um, so something I never expected to be doing um, because of recovering from uh, alcoholism has, has, has turned out to be a real positive in my life. And it helps other people's and it helped a lot of people who didn't understand alcoholism. I'm always amazed at the number of intelligent people that don't understand alcoholism. Um, Marianne's a nurse, uh, and and uh, we were, we started dating on the second or third date we had. I was speaking at an Al-Anon convention in uh, Phoenix, and I asked her if she wanted to go, and uh, she was just blown away by the you know learning about alcoholism and recovery and families and the family after. You know, it's 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 a, it's a it's a wonderful thing to see a family um, become a family again, thanks to AA and Al-Anon. Yeah. Um, any words of wisdom for our listeners before we? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, people always ask me that, and I just say for for the person who is the alcoholic. Hang in there. I remember Bernie Strobinger was this guy's name, and he would always yell at the end of me, keep coming back. And I hated it because I'd been keep coming back, and I was still drinking. And for, the reason was because I wasn't doing what Bernie Strobinger was doing, but he would yell, keep coming back. And so keep coming back. Uh, uh, keep coming back and, and just do what we do. Um, it's so simple now for me to know how this works. Of course, it wasn't at the beginning. But if you do what the people in Alcoholics, and if you do the same thing that the people did in 1935, uh, Alfredo knows I'm nuts about AA history. I love it. I love it. And, and um, the people in 1935 did exactly the same thing that we do today, to not take that first drink. And, and if we do that, you'll be okay. And for families, it's, it's so hard for family members so hard. Uh, my ex-wife and I have a wonderful relationship now. My son and I have a wonderful relationship now. But that didn't happen until I stopped drinking and got sober and came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, because I'm not the same person that I was that they, they remember. I'm the person, my ex-wife always says, you're the person that I married now. Hmm. You know? Awesome. And, uh, and, and it works. It truly works. Well, good. Thank you for sitting down and uh, sharing your story with us. You're welcome. Um, I guess that's a wrap. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. this uh, these uh, podcasts are wonderful. I listened to a bunch the other day, and uh, and uh, it's just always just I love talking recovery. You know? Yeah, and everybody's story is so unique. Your story is so unique. Yes. Um, and I love the... Um, I love the history behind your story. You know, those, those old school guys, you know, that yeah. you bring up every now and then. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah, um, I, did a, um, I did a Zoom meeting, speaker meeting back in Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago. 
and uh, it's, it's, I see these guys popping on the Zoom meeting, you know, and like, and I know their their grandkids are helping them log on to Zoom and stuff, and but they're still the same, and I loved it, you know. Yeah. Oh, you're full of it, brownie, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, they're it, it's it's great, it's great how it's worked out. Thanks, Jim Brown, for being on the podcast, and thank you, listeners, for checking us out. Remember, you can find us at recoveryedgecast.com. Also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.